0: Invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis. We'll be reading the uh, from the seventeenth chapter, Genesis chapter seventeen. We're obviously breaking from our series of sermons on 2 Corinthians, but it seems to me a worthy thing for us to do occasionally to remind ourselves uh, why we do some of the things that we do. There ought to be a reason behind our practices, a belief, a because. Behind our behavior. And there certainly is a good reason why we baptize our children. An entire iceberg, really, of understanding from the scriptures under that tip that sticks out of the water that is infant baptism. Our time's a bit short today with baptism and the Lord's Supper to observe, both signs and seals of the covenant that we're taught to observe in scripture. So we'll obviously not be able to give this morning full treatment to this matter, Uh, nothing close to thorough, but I would like for us to get to what lies beneath and behind the baptisms that we've just witnessed this morning. So Genesis chapter 17, please, we'll read the first 14 verses after we pray. Father, we ask for your blessing one more time. And we continue to trust for that blessing. I was just involved before the worship this morning, Father, in conversation with uh, one of these here who was remarking and reminding me of what a blessing, remarkable and wonderful it is that we have these ancient scriptures that you have caused to be recorded in ancient times and have preserved to this very day that texts thousands of years old, and words should come right into our hands. And now, Father, we pray into our hearts. We ask it with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "'I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless.'" all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. Do you remember those words? I do. I sang them in Sunday school as I was growing up. Some of you did as well. You hear the jingle going through your heads right now. Well, God did promise Abraham many sons that he would multiply him greatly, and so he has. And here we are, right here. The scripture says that we are the children of Abraham and the children of Abraham are spread throughout the entire globe. The Bible says that all who believe in Jesus Christ are the children of Abraham and heirs of the promises that he made to our spiritual father thousands of years ago on the other side of the world. And it is on that ground, on that rock-solid ground of God's covenant with Abraham, on the basis of that promise that we continue to do this, what we've just done this morning, to baptize our children, that we may appreciate more deeply and rejoice more heartily in these things. Let us briefly consider this morning that covenant under three headings. The substance of the covenant, the sign of the covenant, and the summons of the covenant. First, consider the substance of God's covenant. Now, the substance of that covenant can be summarized in one word salvation. To this man whom God chose for no other reason than his own grace and mercy to be the father of his people, God made this promise, verse seven, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. Now I ask you, what, what is being a God to you, but the very substance of salvation, of eternal life. In covenantal terms, what God is saying is, I will save you. You are mine. You belong to me, and I belong to you. That's the very core of the covenant, and it's the very core of salvation. God is our God and we are His people. You know, the crisis of the lost is that they're, according to Scripture, without God. They're separated from Him. That's the plight of the lost. Not so the children of the covenant. God is their God just as surely as He is ours. What it means uh, to be saved today for you and for me And for the whole Christian church is what it means to them. It's the promise of eternal life, of everlasting communion between God and man. Salvation, you see, did not begin in the New Testament. God has been in the business of saving a people for himself through Christ since long ago, since long before baby Jesus was laid in a manger after being born of the Virgin Mary or the grown rabbi being nailed to a gibbet. His saving power and grace reach back thousands of years before his incarnation, before the cross, to take hold of his people of old just as it has reached these thousands of years ahead to take hold of his people today, to take hold of us. But it does not take hold of us only, but also of our children. Just like he told Abraham, I will be God to you, God said, and continues to say to us, And to the heirs of the promise that we are, I will be a God to you and your offspring after you. You see, God's promise is not just for us. It is also for our children. The covenant belongs to our children just as surely as it belongs to us since the promise of God placed them in the very same position. Did you notice that? You and your offspring. The same promise to our children as it is to us, promise of God's fatherly love, of the forgiveness of our sins, of eternal life. And that's why those promises of divine love and forgiveness and life are fulfilled is also the same for us and for our children, as it was for Abraham and for all of his offspring, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus has made an appearance on earth should not make us less but more sure of the promise that God is our God and the God of our children. Indeed, that's exactly the effect it had on the apostles. Remember Peter preaching at Pentecost? He calls on the people there to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and immediately adds this, The promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now think like a first century Jew. For any Jew, any physical and spiritual descendant of Abraham, standing there that day, the message was perfectly, unmistakably clear. The covenant has included your children all this time. All these centuries has included you and your children. Now it's come to fullness in Christ Jesus. And it continues to include your children. Of course it does. Nothing has changed. If anything has only gotten better because the promises of Abraham uh, he viewed from a distance, are now here. Christ has come, and his love and his grace and His mercy have come not only to us but to our children as well. This is the substance of the covenant that God has made with us, our father with our Father Abraham, and his offspring, even us, and our offspring to eternal life. And it is based on that substance of the covenant that we continue, second, to administer the sign of that covenant. And that not only to those who are brought into that covenant like Abraham was as adults from outside, from their unbelieving backgrounds, but also with Abraham's offspring to our children as well. In Abraham's day, that sign, of course, was circumcision. Verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. And it always is striking to me when I read this verse, because he said, this is my covenant. Every male shall be circumcised. My, my. The Lord has made much of the sign, hasn't he? You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and so on, a sign of the covenant between me and you. And the sign, of course, and I hear you saying this, some of you, was only to the males in a direct way back then, and of course it was, and that for very obvious reasons. But uh, that does not mean that the females were therefore left outside of the covenant. Of course not. They were part of the covenant just as surely as the men by virtue of the fact that they were the offspring of circumcised males. And if married, they were married to circumcised males. They enjoyed the same blessings of the covenant as the males did. They did. They, they stood in the same relationship with God as the males did by virtue of the covenant that God had made with their fathers to be their God too. Now, the sign has changed, obviously, the rite, that is the R-I-T-E of initiation into the covenant is no longer circumcision. It is baptism. Jesus did not send out his apostles into the world to make disciples, circumcising them. He sent them to make disciples, baptizing them. And that's exactly what they did. And it surprises us not in the least to read that As they did, as they went out with the gospel, they baptized not just individuals, but entire families, entire households, not just believing Lydia, but her household was baptized. The Philippian jailer, yes, and his household, and Cornelius's, and Stephanus's. Of course they were. Because God's modus operandi has not changed. God has not changed. The nature of his promises, they haven't changed. He is a God to us and to our offspring, to our children, because the substance of the covenant belongs to them, you see. The sign of the covenant does as well. It is on that basis that believing God's promise and following God's pattern with Abraham, and it seems quite clear the pattern that continued with the very first families who entered the early Christian church in scripture, we baptize our households, including our children, just as Abraham circumcised them then, and for the very same reason they are included in God's covenant. He has promised to be God to them just as surely as he has promised and really to be God to us. We might have put it this way, that the sign follows the substance. Where the substance of God's promise is found, so is the sign, baptism. And where the substance of the covenant is found and where the sign of the covenant is found, so also third is the summons. The summons of the covenant. Upon establishing his covenant with Abraham, God summoned him, verse 1, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and and may multiply you greatly. And then you can go on and read it in chapter 18, upon visiting Abraham with the news that Sarai, his wife, would bear a son in his old age. God says in verse 19 of that chapter, I have chosen him that he may command his children and has household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. See, there's the summons. There's the summons of God's covenant. It's a summons to parents. It's a summons to Philip and to Anne. It is a summons to you, to all of us who are parents here today, to command our children to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Why? So that, that's what the Scripture says, so that, God says, I may bring what I have promised about Parents, fathers, mothers, here's the summons of the covenant that God issues you in this covenant. Walk blamelessly before me, before the Lord, and command your children to do the same so that the Lord may bring what he has promised to them, the substance of the covenant, which we've already said, of course, is salvation. I hasten to add this, he does not say walk perfectly, does he? He doesn't say walk sinlessly before the Lord so that I may bring about to them what I have promised. No, that would be a summons sure to send us into a tailspin of despair. Who can be perfect? You know who, who can be sinless in this life? If I want all of you here who have been perfect parents, now please to raise your hands. I'm I'm glad that we don't have to talk after worship to anybody. Uh, absolutely, there is no perfect parent. The fact is that the the righteous parents' deepest grief is that. At his very best, at hers, our parenting is laden with sin and shortcomings. Yes, let's just say at failures. But it's not to sinless parenting that the Scripture summons us, dads and moms. God is calling you to blameless parenting. There is a difference. Blameless parenting is the kind of parenting that acknowledges sin honestly before God. And when appropriate, even before our children. Oh my, you young parents, what a thrill you have in store when you have to get down on your knees and you look your little one in the face and ask his forgiveness. The day is coming. If you are going to be faithful, blameless parents, Confessing your sins to God, confessing your sins to each other—it's it's parenting that seeks forgiveness when we fail, that that repents of its failures. But blameless parent, parenting is ever striving to walk before the Lord. Now, what does what does that mean? To walk before the Lord. Well, the walk before the Lord is another of those ways of speaking derived from ancient Near Eastern covenant literature. When a king would bring a lesser king into covenant with himself, the vassal, the lesser king, was to walk before him, which, which meant to be loyal to the king. But here the, the phrase familiar from the covenantal literature of the ancient world is given an even deeper and higher meaning because, I mean, to walk before God according to the rest of the Bible means to orient one's entire life to God's presence, to God's promises, to his commandments, so that every single step is made with reference to God. Always with reference to God. In fact, let your children hear you often verbally making reference to God in your homes, in the car along the way, when you're teaching them a lesson, when you're disciplining them. Always bringing God into the conversation. This is how you make God present in your home to your children. Back to the point, blameless in the Bible does not mean sinless. It refers to faithfulness. It refers to integrity in one's relationship to God. It means displacing sin with new obedience, a constant work on our parts as parents, of course, and particularly with regard to our parenting, leading our children to do the same thing, by parental instruction, by parental example, and by the faithful application of parental discipline. In fact, those three, if you can mark well and practice those three, that's the three-legged stool of faithful covenant parenting the kind of parenting that the Lord says through which he brings his promises about. Of course, all of it bathed in prayer. Instruction, example, and discipline. No particular order, mind you, all three working together. Instruction, that you teach them their education. Example, that they see what you are doing, and they always do. And then... Of course, discipline. Withholding not, as the scripture says, withholding not the rod. That is why at the baptism of our children, we parents make our vows too. Not because we're the source of our children's salvation. Please don't confuse, get confused about this. No, no. God, Only God, Jesus Christ, is the source of all salvation anyone's salvation, yours or your children's, but because, parents, you are the primary instrument of your children's salvation. Not ultimately, of course, but instrumentally, you, you parents, you give your children spiritual life. Just as not ultimately, but instrumentally, you gave them physical life. Or like the evangelist who is instrumental in bringing about spiritual life to the lost by bringing the gospel. Like the minister who is God's instrument to lead the congregation to Christ. Remember, watch your life and doctrine closely, Timothy, for by them you will save your hearers. Words that cause any Minister with a grain of salt about him to shudder. So the parent is the primary instrument of passing along the blessing of God's covenant to the generation that is rising in her home or his. The Lord's not bashful to say it. He's not bashful to put it in these terms, even of a condition, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. That's We're not making this up. This is God's God's words. That is the great summons. It's a great responsibility, isn't it, parents, that we bear, but then everything about the Christian life. Everything about the Christian life is a great summons and a great responsibility. So how can we rise to such a task? Well, the same way we rise to any of the great tasks to which God has summoned us. By grace. By grace. By grace. It is only by God's grace that we can even begin to follow his commandments. Only by his grace that we can be the instruments of leading our children by the hand to enjoy the blessings of God's covenant and not its curses. Remember the great church father, St. Augustine's famous line, Command what you will, O God, but... Give what you command. Command what you will, O God, but give what you command. That's the faithful covenant parents' heart's plea. And then when our children are found walking with the Lord, the joy, the Scripture says, of hearing our children walking in the truth. As one parent said to me recently in response to my attempt to compliment her faithful parenting She reminded me that this is the line. "Uh, Praise God. Praise God for his faithfulness. So even the bracing summons of this covenant to be God's faithful instruments of our children's salvation sends us right back full circle again, doesn't it? To the grace that brought about the covenant which we speak and sing so often of as a congregation. Grace by which alone we are saved. Grace by which alone our children are saved. Grace by which alone we lead our children to salvation or more accurately, to their Savior. To our God and their God. Amen.